Here is a great chance to gain insights into how to build big businesses and what mistakes can and should be avoided. Not only is this podcast the brainchild of the brand called You, it is also an HT Smartcast original and it is available on htsmartcast.com, India's fastest growing podcast producing platform. Today it is my privilege and honor to have a very very senior bureaucrat Mr Pradeep Bajal on the show. Mr Bajal welcome to the show. Mr Bajal is an IAS officer, he's a reformer bureaucrat, he's from IIT Roorkee and he's very very well known for being the chairman of the Telecom Regulatory Authority of India. He was the former disinvestment secretary and was responsible for disinvestments of Bharat Petroleum, BSNL and Maruti amongst others. And in his new avatar, he is a very accomplished writer. He's got three books. And today we're going to speak about his newest book, Containing the China Onslaught. So, Mr. Vajal, tell me a little bit about what got you interested in China in the first place. We were doing telecom reform at a particular speed, hmm. number 122 in the world. Then we took some measures and suddenly we became number two in the world. Hmm. When this happened, the Chinese got very worried that how are these poor cousins doing so well. So they started coming to my office and they started inviting me to China. And they were studying uh, what we did and how we did it. And I felt to myself that I owe it to everyone to study China because they were concerned about our reforms. We should also be concerned about reforms and that's how I studied China. When I started studying China, I got some unbelievable papers because one year before that, United States had declassified the meeting between Nixon and Mao, which had changed the entire world. So that's how I got interested. Very interesting. You have done a lot of research on China. I've been fortunate to have been going to China since 1989. My question to you, as we get into your book a little more, is that China started liberalization under Deng Xiaoping in 1981 and India started to get into the disinvestment phase in 1991 under Prime Minister Narasimha Rao and you were part of that whole team. Tell me, sir, what do you see are the similarities or dissimilarities between the process started in 81 in China and in 91 in India? Well, the process which started in China was a totally controlled process, controlled by the government. And as you know very well, that everything is controlled by Politburo in China. So Politburo controls the government, Politburo controls the party. So it was a very well-designed reform under the supervision of Politburo. Russia had also done some similar reforms. And uh, Gorbachev and Yeltsin used to climb on tanks and yes. say we will bring democracy, etc. The process destroyed Russia. Correct. And when the Chinese reform started, it was decided that China and USA would do it together, courtesy that meeting which Nixon had 
in 1972 with Mao. At that time, Deng Xiaoping was able to convince the American president that if we follow what was done in Russia, we are a much more diverse country and we will get destroyed. So it was decided that, okay, don't change the political process, but do the reforms. In India, it was totally the Western model. We were already a democracy. We had everything. We had stock market, we had entrepreneurs, etc. And we didn't have to go through that kind of pain which China went through. So China, it was a control process. In India, it was not a control process. And everyone thinks that reforms started in 91. Actually, reforms started in 81. In India also. For instance, the cement sector was totally decontrolled. So Rajiv Gandhi started reforms, but in bits and pieces. And the government got courage only in 1991 to bring in the formula. So, coming back to China, you know, in 1981, between Nixon and Kissinger, there were two major players, that's what I've read, for opening, for the embrace China policy that America followed. Talk to me about that particular policy. But question is that India is much more similar to America. Why did America not come to India? Yes. Uh, <clears throat> that's a very interesting question which I did a lot of research on when I was reading the declassified papers in the United States. Yes, sir. What happened was, and this is written, this is written, written in those papers. What happened was that when the meeting was going on, U.S. was in the process of deciding whether we should take the Chinese market, a very big market, or we should take the Indian market within our fold. And as typical with Americans, within our block. There was a lot of debate and everyone in America was convinced that it should be India because China was untouchable. But when the meeting started, Chao and Lai provoked Nixon at something because Chao and Lai was an intelligent man. He knew the background. And Nixon said that Indra Gandhi was a witch or some people said that he said she was a bitch. Now, everyone knew that, that what had happened in the Bangladesh war. In Bangladesh war, Indira Gandhi had made mince meat of Nixon. And Nixon had been the bonnet against Indira Gandhi. And when Nixon said this, Chavan Lai started laughing very loudly. Because he thought that now we have achieved the end. It is clear that Nixon is not going to partner with India. And they decided to partner with China. But that is the main reason why he opposed everyone in the White House. Even Kissinger didn't want to do this, but ultimately was convinced by China. And, you know, when I was reading about you and all your writings, you have mentioned that China managed to manage seven presidents of the U.S., Tell me your thoughts about it. I'm not using the same words that you have used. Maybe you can use them. Yes. I think, you know, Chinese are famous for all their philosophic books. And most of them are on deception. How to make a fool of the other person. Correct. And I think the Chinese started making a fool of Nixon. Nixon thought that we'll get uh, their market. And all the subsequent presidents also thought that we will get the huge Chinese market. But the Chinese employed the judo trick on all presidents. Correct. And all presidents fell prey to that judo trick. And what was the judo trick? I don't give you the market. Mm. I give you space. Mm. I give you facilities for production. And my labor is very efficient. 
my labor is totally regimented and I can produce any amount in my units. American companies came to China and those American companies then captured the world markets because the products were very cheap. Correct. So that was the judo trick which was employed and all this was to the disadvantage of the United States because the manufacturing facilities in US and in rest of the world collapsed. So that is how the Chinese made a fool of seven US presidents who thought that they were working in the interest of USA. Whereas, what were they doing? They were abetting the rise of China. In a normal situation, there would have been a world war. It doesn't happen that I help you to take, take over. In today, everyone says that China is following US. As a matter of fact, China in terms of some economic terms, China is ahead of the United States from 2015. And the American presidents abetted this. The first president to understand what was happening was Trump. But staying with what was happening in China at that time, I've spoken to dozens of American companies on why they were present in China and not making money. And I was told that it was always a negative vote, which was, I cannot not afford to be in China. Yes, that was the impression that Deng Xiaoping gave to every US president. And if you go back, when the Americans said no, we will not help China before all this happened. Deng sent Li Kuan Yu, a native of Chinese, to the United States and he gave Nixon an article in 1967 that how is it in American interest to take over China. And Nixon was impressed. And he convinced Kissinger in the entire White House because what happened was he wrote an article in the official journal in his own name. And then he won the election. So people thought this was the official line. But there was huge resistance in the U.S., not only that, there was huge resistance in China. When there was huge resistance in China that you're going to work with America, as is typical in all democracies like us, Mao immediately sacrificed Deng and Deng went to jail for two years. His brother was killed. His son is an invalid today. And he was almost finished. It was another set of circumstances that he became the president. They came back. So two related questions. You mentioned in your book that Lee Kuan Yew, former Prime Minister of Singapore, played a very major role in helping Singapore. Talk to me about that and then I'll come to how Deng built China. Lee Kuan Yew explained to the United States that the first thing you have to do is that you increase the trade of China. And how do you increase the trade of China? So what these people did was they made an application to the WTO in 1998. Russia also made an application in 1998. And as you're aware, Russia was eminently more eligible to become a part of WTO because they had become a greater democracy. But Russia became a member of WTO in 2012. China became a member of WTO with all their restrictions in 2001. So between 2001 and 2012, China took over the world because a billion workers of China got into the WTO fold naturally to the disadvantage of the existing workers. And that's how the growth started first. The second phase came later when Deng became president. So, sir, India became independent in 1947. Mao's revolution was 1948. We were similar sized economies. For a long time, India was ahead. 
And today, while we are struggling to reach 3 trillion, China's 13 trillion. What did Deng Xiaoping and his successors do differently? Well, differently, number one, they were more regimented. Okay. The labor was a machine and did exceptionally well. When all this happened, there was a Tiananmen agitation. And you would recall, what was that agitation for? That agitation was getting more freedom because Muslim forces had started. I had become rich and I wanted more freedom. Deng thought that if this movement goes forward, I will lose all the advantage of much higher productivity in China. So Deng started preparing for killing this movement. But you would also recall that at that time, China had the 10-year rule. So our friend Deng had to leave government in 1987. He had joined in 1978. When he left, Politburo didn't know what to do. So something very unusual took place. Then Deng joined as the defense minister. And another person became the equivalent prime minister. And then Deng started preparing for crushing the Tiananmen agitation whenever it happened. In 1989 it happened. And Deng, there are photographs with me, there are articles with me, that Deng decided to completely crush the Tiananmen agitation. And he crushed it. And he said 200 people died. Actually 30,000 people died. Gradually, the entire country got to know that 30,000 people had died. 32nd, 34th and 36th battalion mm-hmm. of the Chinese army revolted because they had killed their own people. You yeah. think of someone's brother, someone's son, and they revolted. Correct. When they revolted, again, the Politburo didn't know what to do. And as is typical of China, they sacrificed them. And there were talks that Deng would be executed. Now, Deng was a frightfully intelligent person. So he went to Bush and said, Mm -hmm. Now, everyone knows that the Tiananmen agitation was abetted by the Americans. Really? And it was abetted because there was an original agreement that democracy would come back after a few years and it was not coming back. So the CIA started the agitation. And Deng quietly crushed the agitation. So he went to Bush and said, Say, and Bush wrote a written letter to Deng that, look, I will not support you anywhere, but I have sympathy with you. What you did was absolutely right. And that letter saved Deng from the Politburo, and he was not executed. However, because of all these reforms, the incomes went up, the number of poor came down, and Deng fell very seriously ill. And in 1997, he died. So he was forgotten. That faith was forgotten. Okay. But post-1997, the Chinese had the real growth because Deng had trained his people in management. They took over. And the second thing that Deng had done, that he had put these people in key places. So even when he was kind of demoted as the defense minister, he had a number of supporters Within the public field. Very interesting. So this is an interesting segue into something else that I was reading that you have written. What are the similarities or dissimilarities between Tiananmen and the Kashmir Exodus? Actually, I did a four-year research on my book. Yes. And when I was reading my book, I found there are two periods which are similar. One was 1950, when both the countries became independent. 
when all the both the countries could write their own plans, etc., etc. Mao wrote a plan, hundred years marathon, because he thought, now that I am doing reforms, I must take over Russia. Sorry, I must take over the United States. Hundred years marathon. When he was implementing this plan, the Chinese economy went to the pits. Went to the pits because they couldn't manage according to the Chinese methods. They had the Red Guards, they had the New Deal, and anyone who opposed was hammered. At this stage, this fellow Mao thought, what should I do? So he said, I think I should go to the Americans because they had the maximum GDP. And he went to the American. And Americans did not entertain him at all. And then I told you later, yeah. later story. In India, we had the five-year plan, then we had the Russian collaboration, and we had the Hindu rate of growth, mm. etc. Only when the Americans joined China did they have this massive and miraculous growth. Then in 1950, another very interesting thing happened. 1950, you started the communication revolution, the entire world. Now, if you recall, the earlier revolution, first industrial revolution and second industrial revolution, the first increased Britain's GDP by six times. Mm -hmm. The second industrial revolution increased the United States' GDP by six times because there were new technologies. And Americans and the British used those technologies and the GDP increase was driven by higher trade, abetted by America and by new technologies. But these technologies did not go to China or India. The third industrial revolution was communication based. So the technology was in the wire. And this wire or wireless was connected the world over. This globalization started. Connectography book has been written by Parakhanna started. So this technology went to China and India also. Additionally, in China, America helped the Chinese companies to go further. Hmm. And when China came with the help of this wire, wireless, millions of students, they started committing thefts, which is typical of the Chinese. They started committing thefts of technology. For a number of years, the Americans did not respond to the thefts and China took over. In 1991, 1989, there was a way in which this was dealt with in China. In India, same time, what happened was that the centrifugal forces were taken. The typical example was Kashmir. Correct. And in Kashmir, in a majority Hindu country, you had the Hindu exodus. And that exodus was not managed. We stood with folded hands. So the political initiative in India in 1991, was taken away by the French troops in Kashmir and the French troops in Pakistan. And we said, no, 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 doesn't matter, etc. So that was India. And what happened in China? Tiananmen Square. So the two countries went in different directions. So, sir, let's now come to modern day. I have one question on defense, or two questions on defense, and then one on economics. Without fighting any war, modern-day war in China, it has become a world superpower and is now being seen as the bully of Asia. What are your thoughts on this? Well, why should I express my thoughts? Let me express the thoughts of Ashley Tellis. Ashley Tellis was almost appointed as America's ambassador to India. He's a native Indian. And Ashley Tellis said, 
people's had been controlled in China. And Ashley Taylor said, no, they have become so big that no one can control them. And we only have to smother them with kindness. Something similar to what happened in Kashmir, correct? That we smothered the separatists in Kashmir with kindness. Want you to come back and bite us again? Yes. So, but then Trump came. When Trump came, he did not appoint Ashley Taylor as the ambassador to India. Okay. And someone else came. And he started preparing for the next step. He had come in 16 and he had said, I'll take action in 16. But he took action last week after four years because I know that he prepared himself very well for this action. So, you've spoken about Trump. Let's talk about Trump then. What is the impact of Trump's policies? You know, tariff barriers, non-tariff barriers on China. I mean, it's not been going on for almost a year and a half. Well, yes. But as I said, as Ashley Tedis had said, mm-hmm. China had become very powerful. They've invested a lot of money. They've got lots of technologies. They've invested a lot of money in R&D. And now this third industrial revolution, which I mentioned to you just now, has been taken over on the same medium as the fourth industrial revolution and the fifth industrial revolution. What is fourth industrial revolution? That machines talk to machines. Correct. What is the fifth industrial revolution? That machines talk to men. Yes. So, and that need the 5G networks, 4G networks. Some have been developed, some have not been developed. So now the world is changing very fast. But, but, we must recognize that the world is changing very fast to India's advantage. Earlier, everything... Providence was to Chinese advantage. But now things are moving to India's advantage because for some strange reason, Indians have digital brains. And that's how you have all the Satyana data and Sundar Kachari and Arvind Kumar. And I I can add to the list. So we have an advantage. But the basic network has to be set up. Up to 4G, we have set up the network. 5G is going slow. There are hundreds of reasons which can be a separate subject. But do you see Trump changing policies in his next term, assuming he gets elected. Well, there's a chapter in my book where I explain how the United States has changed its policies in favor or against particular nations, ultimately keeping their own interest in mind. So, if the United States is not able to deal with China, then they might go along with China. But they have to recognize that this will become a bipolar world. And by and, and in that bipolar world, one side cannot be honest. Already WTO is under threat, correct? Because the judges have not been appointed. So it is in the interest of countries like India, Japan, Israel, etc., to support the United States, like China has supported the United States at a point of time in their own interest. So we have to ensure that the Trump does not change his policies. Or even if Trump loses, the next president does not change his policies. My last question to you, and you've just spoken about what I was going to ask you. There's a new axis getting formed between America, India, Australia, Japan, and on the sidelines, Israel. And every time I speak to someone, they say this is an economic axis. Still, I was speaking to some ambassadors and this is, on a one-on-one basis, this, this actually said this is a security access to control China and to control the Pacific. What are your views, sir? Well, I said that if the Americans are not able to deal with China, they go along with China. 
But of course, if these countries are able to form an excess, because the track record of all these countries is not such which gives you confidence that they will make a logical excess. They were already, I read some time back, that America is thinking of bringing in Korea. So all these things keep happening, and it's a very fast-changing world today, which has to be managed correctly. Mr. Vedil, thank you very much. It's been such a pleasure speaking to you. I mean, I've learned a lot about China today. And to all my viewers and listeners, do read Containing the China Onslaught by Mr. Vajal. It's an absolutely incredible read. Thank you again, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Brand Called You, and never miss any update. For feedback, reach us on at HT Smartcast. We are present on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To listen to more podcasts by The Brand Called You, log on to www.htsmartcast.com or suno nai nazari essay. This was an HD Smartcast original. HD Smartcast.